welcome to this week's episode of Every Square Inch, our weekly time to view every square inch of God's world through the lens of God's worldview. I hope everyone is enjoying your Advent season as we prepare for Christmas. I, I know it's hectic, but uh, do try to carve out some time to focus your hearts upon the greatest news the world has ever known, the birth of God into the world uh, to save the world. Today I want to pick up a topic that seems on the surface to be an unseemly discussion to have during the holiday season, but rightly understood is the entire reason for this season. I want to talk about the reality of evil in this world, particularly the dilemma that it creates. This comes as another observation from my recent trip to Belarus, uh, particularly my tour of the War Museum in Minsk. It's one thing to read the stories of World War II, but it's another thing to take a tour through them, uh, to see actual photos from slave camps, extermination camps, mass graves, to read the displayed statistics of suffering and death. When it was all said and done, one in every three citizens of Belarus lost their lives during that time period. Just amazing statistic. It is overwhelming statistic. An entire nation just decimated. And the children, uh, my, my goodness, the children who died or had to watch their parents die. There's one picture that is just seared into my mind of discarded corpses of, of little children, not even given the dignity of a burial. The depths of evil and depravity, it's just so overwhelming that I couldn't even make it real. And yet it's real. Just one generation ago, we're not talking ancient barbarians, we're talking the educated, developed, industrialized, modern world as we know it, gave way to unspeakable horrors that we have to speak about. The reality of evil is not something we're allowed to brush off, certainly not if you want to be an intellectually honest Christian that actually engages the question of our world. I would say this one has risen to become perhaps the number one question, probably better to call it objection to the Christian faith in our day, the problem of evil. It goes like this. If God is all powerful and all good, then how can we make sense of evil? God is all powerful and therefore could end evil. God is all good and therefore should want to end evil. And yet evil exists. Therefore, we can't reasonably believe a good and powerful God exists. That dilemma, even if people don't have those words to express it, has become the religious stumbling block in our day. And usually not because of touring war museums, but from personal experience, a personal tragedy, a past trauma, uh, someone's own unique experience with the cruelty of this world, and they just can't believe, much less worship, a God who would let that happen. And so this isn't just a philosophical objection. For most, it's deeply personal. And Christians would be at best naive and at worst callous to disregard this very real problem that so many have. And so I thought I would devote a podcast to it. It's a question I get, perhaps more than any apologetic question. And so I thought I'd record a podcast that can be kind of my go-to answer for it. But I want to come at it in a different way. 
there are many good philosophical answers from Christian apologists out there, um, and you can find those very easily for a more scholarly treatment on the subject. Alvin Plantica is, I think, the best. Uh, for a more popular level answer, Tim Keller does a good job. Um, the popular uh, apologist, William Lane Craig, he's very accessible. And so you can find those, but I'm not going to repeat uh, the classic answers to this dilemma. Instead, I want to take a different approach to the problem of evil. And it's only to note the significance that evil is actually a problem. I can understand, I really can understand why many people leave a war museum and say, I just don't know how people believe in God. But I left the war museum saying, I just don't know how people can't believe in God. Because of the war museum, I'm not an atheist. Did you know that perhaps the most famous work of Christian apologetics, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, was written with evil and suffering as his argument for God? It seems strange, but it was actually the reality of evil that was one of the major contributors of Lewis turning from his atheism to Christianity. And during World War II, Lewis gave a series of public talks on BBC Radio and had the audacity during the heat of Nazi evil to explain why all this evil was a reason to believe, not disbelieve, in God. And those talks were eventually compiled into the book Mere Christianity, as we know it. Now, let me, let me quote his famous conclusion for us. Um, this, this is dense, but um, I think it'd be good to quote it, and then I'll, I'll spend some time unpacking it uh, to make sure we understand what he's saying. But, but this is his conclusion on, on, on the reality of evil. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my mind, meaning justice is nothing more than something we've invented. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, for the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality— namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turned out to be too simple. Now again, I know that's a lot. Let me, let me do my best here to unpack his argument. When we have the right and appropriate visceral reaction to evil, whether that be the atrocities of war or our own personal tragedies, when we have that reaction to evil, we are making a statement. And the statement is that this is wrong. This is unjust. This is evil. And then the natural conclusion for many is to say, therefore, I can't believe in a God who would allow this to happen. But Lewis says that in that very reaction, he was unwittingly admitting there was a God. Because where did this notion of right and wrong, just or unjust, evil or good, actually come from? 
You see, we ask the question, why did God allow this evil? When we should first be asking the question, why is this evil in the first place? Because without God, it isn't evil. Richard Dawkins, the most popular atheist on the planet, admits this. He says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference." His words are brutal, but at least they're honest. If there is no transcendent, moral, absolute creator who has created a universe governed by moral absolutes in the same way he created it governed by mathematics or physics absolutes, meaning if the moral law is not real like the laws of nature are real, then we are quite literally lawless. And at the end of the day, anything goes. Or as Dawkins says, there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. How can we say the mass graves of World War II were even a problem? You know, from the perspective of the Eastern Europe worms and insects that feed off decaying flesh, the war was the greatest thing that ever happened. It was a feast like they had never experienced before. We say cursed, but be such a callous thought. But why? Why in this pitiless, indifferent ecosystem in the midst of a vast and meaningless universe was the war wrong? Maybe it's what the ecological bio network needed to keep on flourishing. Do you see what happens when you remove an absolute creator, an absolute standard from existence? Morality, good and evil, these become nothing more than social agreements the the human species has made with itself for mutual survival. Rape, murder, abuse, these are only wrong because we have culturally agreed they should be wrong. But on an ultimate level, they are not intrinsically evil acts. There is nothing wrong with meaningless matter inhabiting a meaningless existence, harming other meaningless matter inhabiting a likewise meaningless existence. In fact, even the language of harm cannot be invoked here. For how is it harm when meaningless does something to meaningless? It's just all meaningless. So who's to say Hitler was up to no good? Imagine yourself having a conversation with someone who grew up in the culture of Nazi Germany and believed with all their heart that Jews were rats and inferior people that needed to be exterminated. And you say to them, no, that's wrong. And they say, why? It's the question why that haunts secular ethics. Why is this wrong? And if you were to say to a born and bred Nazi, because it just is, it's obvious to everyone that this is wrong, they would respond, not to me. What's obvious to me is that this is right. And guess what? According to the morally indifferent Darwinian struggle, they have a better case than you do. The Third Reich was only doing exactly what their evolutionary selfish genes demand. 
survival of the fittest, strong, triumphing over the weak, um, instinctively acting out like any good animal species we see in nature. And if they succeeded, if they won the war and took over the world, then their ideology of race supremacy and genocide would become the new acceptable norm. And we now have a new, it's just obvious, morality and ethic on our hands. Now, Mein Kampf would be just as right and true as the Declaration of Independence, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I believe that statement is true. I believe that it is self-evident as it states, self-evident by a moral law governing creation and cannot be denied in the same way that natural laws cannot be denied. I believe that all men are created equal with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is as true and undeniable as the laws of mathematics say 2 plus 2 equals 4 are undeniable. Therefore, I can say Hitler was wrong. Hitler was evil. But the atheist can't. The atheist has to believe that notions of good and evil are illusory. Something that we have chosen to subscribe to, but in the end, an illusion. Not grounded in transcendent, absolute reality. This is why Bertrand Russell, one of the heroes of modern atheism, British philosopher, was caught when it came to the war. He was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, but when he was on BBC Radio during that time, uh, his words were very different than Lewis's. This is what he said. Dachau concentration, Dachau is a concentration camp, uh, the first Nazi concentration camp. This is what he said. Dachau is wrong is not a fact. Gravity is a fact, but Dachau is wrong is not a fact. I think it's wrong, but I can't prove it. That's what we're left with without a God. Unlike Lewis, who said, I know things are crooked because I know there is a straight line, an absolute standard by which we can judge all moral choices. Russell, who denied the straight line, who denied the transcendent absolute standard, cannot say with certainty that anything, even Dachau, is crooked. Friends, that, that's not a reality I have any interest in entertaining. More than that, that's not a reality in any of us, including, yes, my atheist friends, whom I love. Even they cannot live this philosophy out. Bertrand Russell lived his life as if morality was an absolute reality, just as much as he lived his life as if gravity was an absolute reality. So yes, because of what I saw at the War Museum, I must believe in God. I cannot tour the depths of evil that I saw as an atheist and say that in the end, this isn't evil. So granted, the, the problem of evil is an issue, but I'll take it over the much greater issue that says evil is not a problem at all. But it is still an issue, an issue I don't take lightly. What I hope I've demonstrated is the problem of evil is as much, if not more, of a problem for those who deny God. But what I haven't done is give you any satisfying response to the problem it poses for Christianity. Now again, there are many good philosophical answers that Christian apologists have offered. But in my experience, 
Though those answers might be intellectually satisfying and important, they tend, in the end, not to be emotionally comforting, which I think is what uh, the hurting need. To me, the most comforting answer to the problem of evil is Christmas, which is why I think this topic is most appropriate for this season. Ultimately, the answer to why God would allow suffering is I don't know. There are many passages in Scripture that give us uh, windows into the ways He uses suffering for our good and His glory. Um, There are many things we can glean from Scripture about what He must be up to in allowing evil. But at the end of the day, we just have to say, I don't know. Or as philosophers would say, we can't know. At some point, we have to let God be God and admit that one of his attributes is necessarily his inscrutability. Inscrutability is to say that you literally can't know what he knows because he alone is God. And if you had the ability to know what he knows, then that would make you God. But you're not. And so you can't. Scriptures say how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. By definition, God is a being who knows what we literally cannot know. So to try to explain the dilemma of evil to us is like trying to explain what we know to a dog. You literally cannot understand it. You cannot understand his infinite and unsearchable reasons for allowing evil and suffering. That said, Do you know what Christmas does? What it does is it eliminates all the bad reasons he would have for allowing evil and suffering. We can't know what he's up to, but in Christmas we know what he's not up to. Keller says that in Jesus, we can know what evil and suffering doesn't mean. And it can't mean that God is detached and doesn't care. It can't be that God is playing some maniacal game with his creation. It can't be that God doesn't love us or doesn't take our suffering seriously. It can't be that he doesn't think evil is a real problem that needs to be fixed. Why? Why can't it mean those things? Because he himself got involved in the messiness of it all. What Christmas tells us for certain is that he loves us so much He cares so deeply. He takes evil and suffering so seriously that he himself was willing to enter in and take it upon himself. Dorothy Sayers put it like this. For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited, suffering, and subject to sorrow and death. But he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. She states it a bit crassly because I don't think God's playing a game with his creation, but, you know, it's Dorothy Sayers and she is, she is what she is with words. She's good with them. But you get, you get her point. God is Emmanuel. God with us. The God who knows what it's like. But even better, not only did he come to experience it, he came to end it. I love the story of Lazarus. Because Jesus weeps over his friend's death, meaning in a very real way, he is familiar with sorrow and grief and suffering. And yet at the same time, he raises his friend from the dead. And that's what we have in Jesus. 
the God who's familiar with evil and suffering, and the God who can and will undo evil and suffering. And if you don't believe me, then just look at his own Holocaust. The greatest evil, the greatest suffering that this world will ever know is the crucifixion of the innocent Son of God. So horrific was this injustice that even Jesus, the omnipotent one, even Jesus cried out an agonizing prayer to be spared. But he was not spared. By the way, let your, run, let your mind run wild with that one. Not only does he know what it's like to suffer, he knows what unanswered prayers in the midst of pain and suffering is like. He knows what it's like to cry out in agony to the heavens and the heavens be silent. And so the innocent, righteous God in flesh is crucified. Why, we should ask. (laughs) What possible reason could God have for allowing such evil and suffering? The answer, of course, is that eternal good has come from that horrific event. Now make the connection. If God in his infinite wisdom could use an evil like that for good, then name something he can't use for good. And much more, God didn't just use it, he undid it. He raised Jesus from the dead. And so again, make the connection. If God can heal the cross, then what can he not heal? You think it's impossible to fix this world, to redeem all of this evil and all of this suffering? Not as impossible as raising Jesus from the dead, and God has proven that he can do that, which has become his promise that he can and will fix everything and make all things new. God's promise to us in Christmas, God's promise to us in the crucified and risen Jesus is not only does he care about the problem of evil and suffering, he is determined to fix the problem of evil and suffering by making it a problem no more. Thanks for listening. Blessings to you this holiday season, and we will see you back next week for another episode of Every Square Inch. Every Square Inch.